You see what's going on here, people? Do you see what's going on here, people? That's me rocking out to the Thursday music. I know what time it is, and clearly you know what time it is. It is 1046. I'm Guy Adami, joined, as always, by my dear friend Dan Nathan for this episode of 1046, brought to you by our presenting sponsors, FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. And of course, our friends at Open Exchange. Dan knows this. They manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. Dan, we're going to hit a macro call, some single stock research calls. We're going to have one for the road, John Butters, and we're going to try it. We're going to attempt to do it in 14 minutes. It ain't going to happen because something has just come across our bow, Dan Nathan. You want to read a tweet that I think Mr. Danny Moses put out. Please, Dan, go. Yeah, he sent it over to us. This is our partner on On The Tape podcast that drops every Friday morning. Check that out in the podcast stores, people. But this one, I think, caught my eye. You know, you and I talked last week about this growing chorus of market strategists calling for pullbacks. And, you know, you and I have been trying to identify some of the inputs that we think might cause a correction in the market um, right here on at 1046 over the last few weeks. We've had smaller and smaller bouts of downward volatility in the equity markets. But I thought this from Scott Minard of Guggenheim Partners, he wrote this morning, as the equity market reaches new highs, the divergence in the advanced decline line suggests that we may be approaching a top guy. Um, in the past, such divergences have indicated the market is vulnerable to a sell-off. The 20% decline club, I think you and I are in that club, Guy, is getting larger. About 15% of the big cap S&P 500 are more than 20% below its 52-week highs, but much larger swaths of the mid-cap and small-cap universe are down 20% or more. Now, I'm just this goes on here. The point that you and I have been making is that fewer and fewer stocks are helping the broad market make new highs. I think the S&P and the NASDAQ each up around 19 20 percent or so, the concentration among these small group of mega caps are doing all the heavy lifting. So we've been pointing out that under the hood, things are not as healthy as the indices at all-time highs up 20 percent in the year might reflect. That's exactly right. And obviously, we're seeing some weakness today. And I think, listen, you say what you want about Scott Minard. He's well thought out in terms of the things that he puts out. He doesn't speak every day. So when he makes comments like this, you don't have to agree with them, but you definitely have to Listen to what he's saying. The other person you need to listen to, Dan, is Ray Dalio of Bridgewater. I know you know who he is. Yep. Legendary in our world. Basically saying that cash is trash. Now, I don't think he's splitting the atom here, but I want you to speak to it. Then I want to point out some of the three things that he's concerned about, Dan Nathan. He's basically saying diversify and buy every hard asset that is not nailed down because interest rates are low and they're presenting opportunities to invest in scarce assets, right? And we know that that is obviously a byproduct of the Fed uh, keeping rates as low as they have for as long as they have. And by keeping you know this, this liquidity in the market with QE, I think I just kind of teed you up here, but he He's basically saying, trade the market that you got, right, Guy Dami? I love that. Trade the market that you got, not the one that you want. He also pointed out on CNBC, I want to say on Tuesday, but it doesn't really matter. His three biggest concerns were the national debt, which we seemingly talk about all the time, but nobody seems to think is a big deal. Wealth disparity, which we also talk about a great deal. And the last thing he was concerned about is China, and they're challenging the world order. And quite frankly, that's happening right before our eyes. And it's amazing to me that this chart, the S&P 500, doesn't care more about things. But here we go. We had this serious um, uptrend, this very well-defined channel. But we're right at it here, Dan Nathan. That 200-day moving average coming in probably around 4,100 thereabouts. Thoughts on the 
I know what my thoughts are. I think our thoughts sort of line up. I think Scott Minard is reinforcing some of the things we think about. Everything looks great here. You're the flashy, shiny object. But you, to your point, below the surface or beneath the hood doesn't look all that good to me. Yeah. So go back and look at those peak to drop declines from then all time highs over the last year. And I think the largest one was September 2nd to mid-September. It was about 10%. Then we had about a 9%. Then we had about a 6%. Then we had about a 4.5%. Then we had about a 3.5%. And then we had about a 2%. This last one, the the, the peak to drop declines are getting narrower or smaller and smaller here, right? And the, and the rallies to new highs are obviously getting smaller and smaller. You see that trend channel just kind of converging sooner or later, something's got to give. A lot of people think the pain trade is higher, meaning that we just squeeze higher. I just don't see, given the headwinds that we have, that uh, Dalio just listed, some of the things we're going to talk about as far as prices and growth going the opposite direction. I know that you have a little graphic for that. There you go, big guy. Um, we got to make sure that's not a gang sign if we do that again. I don't think um, it's a gang. I mean, why is everything a gang? It's not a I gang sign. That's one know. thing. One dog's looking one way, the other dog's looking the other way. I say, what do I know about? I don't know about anything. What do you, what do you want from me? What do you want about me? I think the, you're right. Now continue, please. Yeah, the point is there, you know, like that's not going to probably break higher and melt up, especially with the S&P up 20% with valuations where they are. So I think the risk is to the downside. I think a lot of market strategists are thinking the same. Seasonality comes into play as well. I know you were you were Sanford and Son fan. And if you remember, Red Fox used to say, this is the big one, Elizabeth. Well, yeah. everything you've just talked about are sort of the tremors. And maybe, who knows, maybe the big one is right around the bend. We don't see it coming. Keep your eye on China, folks. I, st- I still think we're underestimating um, the potential impact that could have on our broader market, which brings us, of course, to what I love to talk about, the 10-year yields, which, look, say what you want. We have been in a very defined range, albeit uh, a pretty wide range, but it's been going sideways now for quite some time, somewhere between 120 and 135. There are two schools of thought here. I mean, obviously, some data came out this week. The people that say the Fed is right said, see, uh, inflation is trending lower, 5.3%. The street was looking for 5.4%. I would say, hey, 5.3% year over year is still significant, but that's, as they say, what makes markets. As we stand here right now, 10-year yields about 132. I still think we're headed back to 175. I think you think we're going to be in a range. Thoughts here on the 10-year yield, Dan, Nathan? I'll tell you this. You know, this morning I was looking on the Twitter as one does, you know, looking for market headlines. And our friend Dominic Chu at CNBC, at the Domino, I think is his Twitter handle. Every morning he puts out a tweet listing the 10 most searched tickers, okay, tickers on CNBC.com from the previous day. The number one ticker guy, and you wouldn't think of this because it's not a stock ticker, was the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield. When people are bombarding CNBC.com to try to figure out what's going on there over Apple or something like that, you know that this is a point of contention. And that chart shows that growing tension here. Um, Listen, you know, the thing that draws yields higher would be growth expectations going higher, right? And the and the potential for the Fed possibly to raise rates or start to taper sooner than people think. It just doesn't seem that, that the rate market thinks that's going to be the case. And it may be your point, Guy, about China and some of the things that's going on over there in the property markets with Evergrande. Maybe you're seeing a flight to quality in U.S. Treasuries, and maybe that is keeping rates here. We'll see. I mean, what I'll tell you is not to sort of uh, give away the ghost or the goat. I don't know. We're giving away something. But Mr. John Butters, I just call him JB. We're going to have his one for the road. And it might speak to exactly all this, Dan Nathan. Listen, 
I think inflation is here to stay. I think 10-year goes higher. But this chart suggests we go sideways for the, the foreseeable future. But this next one, Bitcoin, I don't know. I mean, this thing speaks to something entirely different. And I know you're you're the Bitcoin guru here. You are sort guru? of the, you're the crypto baller 2.0, Brian Kelly's 1.0, or I don't even know what that means. But speak to me about Bitcoin, because I know you have some thoughts on not only that, but that ether thing that everybody seems yeah, to be well, talking no, but, about but but dalio appears to be crypto curious he's made some comments over the course of this year and i think whenever you have you know a billionaire investor who runs the largest hedge fund the world has ever known and he's saying that bitcoin is a possible alternative to cash which he just said was trash but he did say that the regulators are likely to kill it which i think yeah. is kind of interesting so he's kind of got like one toe in the water here you know bitcoin had that big rally a lot of people would tell you that you know there was a bit of over exuberance in the spring it, it lined up the highs with the coinbase direct listing ipo then the chinese moved on china uh, on bitcoin mining and, and most of the miners were finding their way out of the country um and there were some technical reasons why bitcoin was going down you had that big pop it is now contending with that uptrend from the july lows it's above its 200-day moving average let's see how it trades here um like you mentioned though ether ethereum i think a lot of people right now seem a little more excited Excited about DeFi protocols, NFTs, um, and the like that are being built on top of smart contract protocols like Ethereum and Solana. And maybe they've stole, uh, stolen a little bit of the thunder here, but definitely keep an eye on this one. We look at it because in our opinion, it tracks a level of speculation in risk assets that we find is really interesting to watch the changes in that. Will you indulge me for just a second, please, before we get to our first goal with just a, a simple yes, we'll do. Yes. That means, yeah, thank you, Dan. I mean, it's not, this is an easy game to play. DeFi, you mentioned. Can you tell me what DeFi stands for? I think I know, but maybe you could sort of decentralized finance, guys. Decentralized finance. So, by definition, I would imagine that regulators, that is the, the exact argument for DeFi, is the fact that regulators can't get their arms around this thing. So, I know, I don't get what Ray Dalio is saying, but I think the Bitcoin is far greater than Gary Gensler and some of these regulators. That's my take. We'll talk to Brian Kelly maybe one day about it as well. We'll see. But the first call we want to look at is American Express. You folks know it. Comes out AXP. Now, this is not some. This is not a, a, a knocking on the table, banging the table type of call. They upgraded stock to neutral from underperformed, more balanced risk reward. I guess the good news for your American Express bulls out there, it's we've sold off from that 179.70 low we made earlier in the summer. Um, the stock has, in my opinion, very cheap in terms of valuation, trades at 16 times. Again, not a pounding the table upgrade, but it's one step probably to their next upgrade, which will come out in a couple of weeks, I'm sure, to buy from neutral. I like this call. Here's my concern before we look at the chart. American Express, as you know, is different than Visa and MasterCard. American Express has credit risk. Those companies do not. If you somehow think there's going to be a credit problem here, you have to avoid this like the plague. And oh, by the way, I know you know this as well. Travel is a big component of AXP. Yeah, and it's corporate travel too, right? So, so, so they're exposed to have big corporates, but they're also exposed to a slightly more affluent um, consumer there too. So they will be, you know, you'll see the COFs of the world, the subprime um, get hit before you're likely to see an American Express. And you know, like like you said, guy, this is not a table pounder, but they've been on the wrong side of this 35% year-to-date move. That chart is kind of interesting. Let's see if it can break that downtrend that's being placed. But you see that the support. 
support that it's held recently right there around 160. Um, This trade sets up well, to your point. They will go to a buy when it looks like Delta's behind us and there's no other variant that's breathing down corporate travel and consumer spending, um, you know, uh, probabilities here. So to me, I find it kind of interesting. But you just mentioned Visa guy, you know, they don't have the credit risk. It's about transaction volumes, right? Mm-hmm. That's and exactly so right. it's really interesting when you look at this stock broke out and then it's really just spent the last two months in a decline. It has not broken that uptrend. It's not even tested that uptrend. It's really a pretty severe downtrend. This one's really interesting. It's holding its 200-day moving average. You see that breakout level um, that it's just above right here. Um, you know, to me, what's going on here is they've lost a little luster, I you might say, from some of the DeFi. They actually threw their hat in the ring and they bought an NFT a few weeks ago. You know what that stands for, guy? One non-fungible word. token, Dan. There you go. And they, and that was a great, great uh, marketing move. But at some point, I think that all this buy now, pay later, we saw Square buy after pay. We saw um, American Express or excuse me, uh, Amazon do the deal with a firm. Is this something that might be weighing a little bit on the visa? And the yeah, master- no question. Listen, no, and, and I'm just going to alert our audience who have if you have an 11 a.m. Eastern meeting or 8 a.m. Yeah. Uh, West Coast meeting, I'm telling you now, we're going overtime. And you might hear some buzzer from Mike Covino or Brendan. I'm not sure who's going to buzz it. It's going to happen. With that said, you have seen moves like this before. You look at the chart, you can see. You've seen no fewer than three moves of this magnitude to the downside with the subsequent bounces along the way. We're at the 200-day moving average for an entry point to me. This is interesting. Yes, there is clearly risk here, not least of which, by the way, is this stock is expensive. But you know what? We've shrugged this off before. My sense is if you're looking for a trade, it's going to shrug it off again. Next one, although PayPal, fascinating. Now, there's, as we used to say in the business, Dan, and maybe you're familiar with, there are no such thing as triple bottoms and there are no such thing as triple tops. But, you know, if we get back to those levels that red line illustrates, we're not going to stop this time. Thoughts on this uptrend in PayPal and it's, by the way, premium valuation. Yeah, one thing I think is really interesting, we started talking about American Express. You know, Square has a market cap that's greater than American Express. Then we talked about Visa. Visa has a half a trillion dollar market cap, which I think is pretty sneaky, especially when you consider the fact it's down 11 12% from its all-time highs. But PayPal is the one that's really interesting because PayPal has a market cap greater than um, Bank of America, right? And you see that this uptrend that it has held here. Um, so there's you know, the buzzer. Me, See, I told you the buzzer was coming. I, what did I tell you, Dan? Please continue. You said it was coming. You're a genius. Um, yeah, well. It's held that uptrend. You talk about a triple top. Maybe you have a quick move back to those prior highs when the market stabilizes. Let's see if it can hold that uptrend. There's a lot of things going in their favor as it relates to centralized finance at the moment. You know, it's interesting. I know you're familiar with this. We should do a segment on companies. Listen, I know now I'm, I'm waxing poetic, but here's a good segment we should talk about. Companies that rue the day. I don't know how to spell rue. I know who rue McClanahan was, but why do I bring that up? Because you know this, McDonald's comes out MCD. They spun out CMG. You think they're happy about that? Why do I bring that up? Because you know this as well. Who spun out the PayPal would be the eBay. You think they're happy about that? What are your sense about that one? And I think it was Chevron, if memory serves, that spun out PSX. Anyway, I can go on and on. It's no need to. We got to go to our next call, Dan Nathan which to me is pretty interesting. Morgan Stanley upping their price target on Microsoft. Uh, people are tripping them over themselves 
It's up there, price targets on Microsoft. A lot of it based on that stock buyback that we just saw earlier this week, and they increased their dividend. Let me just say this about their stock buyback. Yes, $60 billion seems like a huge amount of money, but when you look at it in comparison to their market cap, it's sort of a fly on the rear end, as they say. I kept it clean for our audience. All that said, we have absolutely loved Microsoft uh, on Fast Money seemingly for years now as they made the transition. Thoughts on this? Is, is Morgan Stanley onto something, Dan Nathan? Well, I mean, they're just kind of upping the price target as the stock has just gone parabolic over the last few months. And you can just look at the chart and you see what it's done. And it's held that uptrend like a boss, as they say. It did like break, a boss. It did like break that. it quite recently. I thought it was kind of rolling over here. But let's see on that announcement if it can get through that prior high here. Um, again, going back to some of the things we talked about at the start, um, if the market is finally going to roll over, it has to be Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, um, and Google kind of leading the downward trend because we know that a lot of their smaller cap brethren in their indices are already acting sort of poorly. So to me, and it brings me back to September 2020 guy about a year ago when the S&P went down about 10 percent, the Nasdaq went down about 14 percent. Stocks like Apple and Amazon went down like 20 percent. So the risk yeah. here is that these are very crowded trades. Microsoft trading about 34 times this year's earnings and about 30 times next sounds exciting expensive on a historical basis. But if the company is expected to grow earnings and sales in the low teens year over year, maybe 30 times is not so expensive. So maybe there's not um, you know, much of an argument against valuation, especially in a rate environment like we're in right now. Well, that's exactly right. In this rate environment, you can make a pretty compelling case given their growth rate and given the lead they have uh, in the cloud. I mean, listen, it's Amazon and Microsoft pretty much, and it's everybody else. But that's another conversation. What The one thing that concerns me here and actually sort of scares me a little bit is the standard deviations away from the 200-day moving average is pretty severe right now in terms of MSFT. They report on October 27th. I actually think, Dan, there's going to be a sell-off in earnings and maybe take advantage of that. But as again, that's what they say makes markets. Let's look at our chart of the week because everybody loves the Apple uh, you know, listen, I, I can do an hour long show on the reasons why I don't. But that's, again, neither here nor there. You have said this pretty consistently, Dan, over the last couple of years. Since 2017 or thereabouts, there have been three, if not four, 20 to 35 percent peak to trough declines in this name. Everybody says you got to own it, not trade it. And I get it. But quite frankly, if you're trading it, there have been some real great opportunities. Speak to me about our chart of the week. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with you, Guy. It's a great trading stock. Just look at that trend that the stock has been in from the September 2nd high. We had about a 22% um, decline. And then over the next three to six months, by January, it got back up, made a brief new high, but then sold off again 20% here, bounced off of that um, uptrend channel and we just got rejected there again. Look at that 200-day moving average down there at 133. The high was what, guy? 155, four, six or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, you know better. Yeah, yes. So, so you get down, you know, let's say 25 points on 154. If we were to test that, that's a pretty good trading range. Might you buy it there again? Sure. But at this point, my, you know, the bet against the stock not moving down 10, 15, 20% in any six-month period is not a good one, if you will. Not a lot of earnings growth, big valuation, you know, trades at a growth stock valuation and it basically a value stock. Now, when it was a growth stock, it traded at a value uh, valuation, which is fascinating to me. I do think you're going to trade to the lower end of this range and it's going to be an opportunity because it will coincide with the 200 day moving average. 
You know I dig this guy. I know you dig this guy. But my man, John Butters, one for the road. Look at those three words, Dan. Can you read those? Because I know we're in different camps here. Please, if you may, I'm having difficulties seeing that. Can you read uh, those three the words? The first word is inflation. The second and, word is inflation. Yes. And the third one is inflation. Okay, yeah. so inflation, inflation, inflation. He's really kind of driving that point home. We love Butters. We love earnings insight. He gives us a preview of it on Thursday for at 1046, which is pretty cool. It drops on Friday mornings. Listen, as far as I'm concerned, and you and I talk about this stuff all the time, we opine on it and fast money. Listen, if you're a, a, a C-level right executive here and you're trying to forecast your business in a period of great uncertainty because of supply chain disruptions, because of price increases, because all this sort of stuff, you're going to speak to the thing that's on the front page of the Wall Street Journal or on CNBC.com every day. It's just that simple. It's kind of called a mulligan in golf, right? So you talk about inflation. Um, I do find it interesting to track this. I think his chart is pretty fascinating. I think the bigger thing that, that, that I think is valuable for investors is start thinking about inflation, inflation, inflation. What does stagflation mean at the end of that? What if we have a situation where we're seeing GDP estimates for Q3 and Q4 already come down pretty dramatically. What if we don't see earnings growth accelerate? I think a lot of investors were expecting for earnings and margins to inflect at this point in this year at the, you know, the pandemic in the rearview mirror. So we have lower growth, lower earnings, higher prices. What does that mean to you, Guy Downey? It means the Fed's in a lot of trouble. Do you, are you familiar with William Tell? I mean, not the William Tell overture, but the actual William Tell. What did William no. Tell do? Do you remember? Uh, he, he told you something about inflation. No, that's wrong. William oh. Tell was a guy, he was the bow and arrow guy. And behind oh. his back, he had something called a quiver. And inside yeah. a quiver, you hold the arrows. And my point of bringing up William Tell is the Fed's got a big quiver, but they don't got any arrows to guard against or fight against or combat the exact uh, environment you just talked about, stagflation. That is problematic. You also mentioned Mulligan, by the way. I believe she was the actress in the movie Rounders, if I'm not mistaken, Carrie with Mulligan. Matt Damon, which was a great, great and movie. Ed Norton, you how, do you watch not, it. how do you not say Ed, Ed Norton? How and do John, you know it's and, not just about And John Malkovich. What was John Malkovich's tell again? His tell was the Oreo cookies, if you recall. He would spin them. Check, check, check. All night, check. Pay the man his money. I could do the whole movie. And John and that Totoro guy was in it as well. Yeah, that's right. John but again, Totoro. that's neither here nor there. Dan, just give me a couple of parting thoughts before I thank our sponsors. Yeah, well, first of all, we have to wish Happy New Year to all our friends uh, on Young Kippur. We're doing a special Young Kippur edition of At 1046 here, Guy Dami. I mean, listen, you know, I just don't really see what the bull case is um, for a melt-up. People talk about pain trades. It would be painful. I've been kind of thinking about um, how to get some of the puts that I have on the QQQ and the SPY to start yielding some sort of return. And I keep thinking this, and this is really interesting this morning, I was thinking about over the last month, every time I roll puts in the major U.S. stock indices, if I had just taken that money and put it in a crypto, you'd be doing this show all alone, buddy. I'll tell you that much right now. <laughs> well, then I'm glad you haven't been, Dan, yeah. because without you, I am nobody. Today's episode of 1046 has been brought to you by our presenting sponsors, FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. And thank you for allowing us to use Mr. Butter's work. And of course, our friends, and they are our friends at Open Exchange. They manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. Dan, I will see you next Thursday at 1046. Damn straight.